Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's read today from John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know my Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world you are blaspheming? Because I said I am the Son of God. 
If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained, and many came to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. John 10 is a fairly famous section, I am the Good Shepherd. It gives us Good Shepherd Sunday, which is celebrated on the fourth Sunday after Easter each year in the three-year rotation, the three-year lectionary. The one-year They get it on the third Sunday of Easter instead. Jesus is our good shepherd. And we get a lot of conversation about sheep here to open this section. So in the first paragraph, if you don't know, uh, you learn a little bit more about how sheep function. Uh, They're not very intelligent animals is one of the things you'll often hear about them. They are good at wandering off. uh, And so maybe the analogy for us to be sheep is pretty common to that because we, uh, we're good at wandering away and not following the Lord and always trusting in what he's given us to do uh, and even in what he's done for us. So Jesus talks about how you will keep your sheep in a pen, they're fenced in so they don't just wander off uh, when they're not out in the field with the shepherd grazing. And the shepherd, when he comes, the gatekeeper opens, so there'll be a man guarding the gate, and he'll open up, and he'll let the sheep out, and he'll stay with them until he brings them back into the sheepfold. But then there'll be thieves, and the thieves, they don't care. Uh, they're not going to get in the gate because the gatekeeper wouldn't let them in. There would be a tussle over that. So they'll, they'll sneak in from another way. They'll try and hop the fence on the backside where the gatekeeper can't see them. These are enemies that are seeking to steal the sheep or harm the sheep, destroy your flock. These are the things Jesus points out at first, and he's really teaching about himself and about the people that the sheep will only listen to the voice of their shepherd. So those who would follow Christ will listen to his voice, and those who are not his sheep, they won't listen to his voice. But, verse 6, the people don't understand this figure of speech, so Jesus elaborates. And this is going to give us two of his I am statements. And they're different. I joke sometimes that it's not really Good Shepherd Sunday that we celebrate each of those Easter Sundays I was just talking about, uh, because we read a different section of John chapter 10 each year. In year A, we read the first 10 verses, so I've, I've called it Door Sunday before. Um, or I think some like to translate that gate instead, um, same same idea. And that's Good Shepherd Sunday only in year B then, as we have 11 through 18. And then in year C, we read 22 to 30, so we pick up more towards the end of the chapter than the beginning. But this gives us, by my count, which I've I've added one, so we're up to the fourth and the fifth of Jesus' I Am statements for which the people will be quite upset with him. So he is the door that is a symbol of protection. Again, as he talked about in his analogy before, the the door, the gate, keeps the sheep from being harmed. A thief will not come in by the gate. He's going to have to work harder to get at the sheep than he would have otherwise. 
but even a wolf, that kind of enemy, can't come in and harm them. And when you just think about it, the sheep aren't able to wander off when the gate is closed either. So Jesus provides protection. He defends us from our enemy when we think of the devil. He helps curb that wicked sinful nature that's within us uh, that wants to lash out and do whatever its evil desires may be. So Jesus provides that protection from our enemies and from our temptations. Then he's also the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He compares the shepherd to the hired hand. This is an interesting distinction because most shepherds would be hired hands, most likely at that point. Uh, But the shepherd here, in this case, he's really referring to himself as the master, the owner, uh, that this shepherd is not just a a hireling. The hireling, when a threat comes, he runs away. I'm not going to... Think of it with whatever your workplace is, um, that a threat comes. The possibility of ending your life. You know, if you're a bank teller and they come to steal from the bank, you're, you're being robbed, you're being held up. You're going to give them the money because it's not, it's not important to you. You would rather walk out of there alive than give your life for a few dollar bills. And so it is with this hireling that Jesus describes. They're not his sheep. He doesn't really care about them. At the end of the day, he just, he's just hired. He just wants the money for his day's work. But Jesus, Jesus, on the other hand, is good. He is the owner. He cares for the sheep. Now, this is saying quite a bit, perhaps, I think we could look into with, for the example, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who were the religious leaders, that they're not really in it to care for the people. Jesus does because he, he's their master, he's the owner, he loves them, they are his flock. But those religious leaders at the time who were supposed to be caring for them, well, they're about to pick up stones to try and strike down the good shepherd. So we see some of that um, going on in the text here with the idea that Jesus is going to save them. He will lead us in and out. He will bring us to pasture. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. A beautiful reflection of this text here. The enemy, rather, comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan wants to destroy us. The world would like to strip our faith away from us and so forth. So you might talk with your family, your children. What do shepherds do for the sheep? The answer to that is to talk about protection again, that they might fight off a wolf. Uh, That shepherd's hook or crook has a a function to it in that way. It can be a weapon uh, to help that. They lead them to good places to graze, to eat grass. They lead them to water so that they can be drinking and, and fed, nourished. And then they will also um, corral them so that they don't wander astray. These are things shepherds do for the sheep. Then you can change that to conversation about how Jesus does those things for us. How does he feed us? We could talk about certainly daily bread in the Lord's Prayer, but also the Lord's Supper, that he feeds us that way. How does he give us water to drink? You can talk about baptism in that. How does he protect us? You talk about, again, sin, death, and the devil and how he's delivered us from those enemies. Or you could talk about the other uh, three that we sometimes say, sin, our own sinful nature, the world, and the devil, those sources of temptation. Christ defends us from those. So many things, uh, many connections that can certainly be made on that account.
more about Jesus knowing and being known by the Father certainly shows up throughout chapter 10 here today as well. He knows his Father. And as he knows the Father, the Father knows him. And as they know each other, Jesus also knows the flock. This is indicating a family relationship, a deep relationship between the Trinity, but also between God and man that comes to us by this good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. That's a reference to the Gentiles. So he's come first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. He's going to bring them in, into the sheepfold, into the flock. There will be one flock, one shepherd. That one shepherd language gets picked up in the prophets, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23, and Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24, will both refer to that, the idea that God would set up over his people one shepherd, his servant David, and Jesus is indeed a descendant of King David. He will lay down his, his life, and we think of the cross. He will speak to his sheep, they will listen to him, He will lay down his life to take it up again, so death and resurrection, very common things here. We listen to his word, we follow him, we trust in him above all things. Verse 18, no one takes his life from him. He lays it down of his own accord. I mean, look at how many times they've already tried to take his life from him in the book, but it's not his time. Even as he told his mother when it came to the first miracle earlier, it wasn't his time. He doesn't, he doesn't just blow by the wind of the culture and whatever's happening around him. Jesus is God. He is in control. And so when they try to arrest him in verse 39, they can't because he's God and he doesn't allow it to happen. When the time comes, he lays down his life. He allows them. He gives himself over to crucifixion because his death, again, he's laying down his life for the sake of the flock, His death brings us life, forgiveness, salvation, and in this we rejoice. So he says he has authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again, just as he told uh, the Jews in chapter 2, verse 19, that if they destroyed this temple, he would rebuild it in three days. And this authority he has received from the Father. God the Father gave God the Son the authority to die and to live, to rise. He gave him that charge, the task of saving the world, John 3, 16 and 17, has been given to him. So at these things that Jesus has said, there's more debate, more division amongst the Jewish people. There are some who disbelieve, some who are basically incensed at his teaching that he would possibly say this. They say he's possessed by a demon and insane. But the others are saying, well, wait a second, demons can't do this. Demons don't talk like this. Demons don't do miracles. And so there, there's confusion, division amongst them. This is true of the Lord's word and his miracles, his teaching, his miracles, even to this day. They bring division. There will be some who hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit works and they receive it with joy and rejoicing. And yet there are others who the word of God comes to them and they reject it outright and they are spiteful and they just continue to hate all things that deal with the Lord. Verse 22 is interesting. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. The feast of dedication is a Jewish celebration, even today, that we know of as Hanukkah. 
It's not one that Christians have by and large celebrated. As far as I can tell, I don't know about all the Jewish traditions. I've never looked into their traditions. It's something that we could possibly celebrate ourselves if we wanted to as Christians. The, the idea of Hanukkah deals with the time after Antiochus IV Epiphanes. You know, he he de- desecrated the temple of God. And so in 164 BC, the temple is rededicated and it celebrates that. So why as a Christian do we not celebrate Hanukkah? Well, that temple's been destroyed. The temple was God's dwelling place with his people. And so we, again, John 2, we look to Jesus Christ as the temple. Destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. So we celebrate when that temple came into the world, Christmas. And we celebrate when that temple was rebuilt, Easter. Those are our holy days. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with Hanukkah on the surface. Again, I haven't looked in my lifetime too deeply into the various practices that Jews have. So there probably are things we would not want to partake of, of their own traditions. Um, but they use Psalm 30. It was a festival of joy. And those kinds of things are, are good and right and salutary. It's winter, so a reference to December probably here. Jesus is in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon, a colonnade being uh, basically pillars covered by a roof. This might be one of the the remnant kind of parts that King Solomon built. That may be why the name is there for it. Because it's roofed, uh, it's a fairly common gathering spot for rabbis and their disciples to sit while the rabbis taught. And it's exactly what we see happen in this text then with Jesus, as people view him as a rabbi, and they gather to him and he teaches. But they ask, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. No more parables, no more riddles, uh, just say it. And he kind of does. Verse 25, I told you, and you do not believe. So he, he's already answered the question. He's already told them he's the Christ, and they just don't b- believe it. They don't buy it. So he argues that his works, his miracles, have bore witness about him. That the Father has bore witness about him is something he said before as well. But they're not his sheep. These people that are asking, they're not his sheep. They don't hear his voice. To tie back to the start of the chapter, they are sheep of another flock. They belong to another Lord. And this is John 8, as Jesus told them that they belong to their father, the devil. But God will give, Jesus will give to his flock eternal life. No one can snatch them from his hand. This is a fantastic promise of the text. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. They're going to accuse him of blasphemy and try and stone him for that. But the picture of these two verses is that, indeed, God holds you in his hand. You are his. And nothing can stop that. The devil cannot pry you out of the Father's hand. Do that as an activity with your children. Maybe take a marble or something small, put it in your hand, and clench it together as a fist, and let those kids try to open your fist and take it from you. Now, if your kids are older, or if your hand is injured or weak, they might get it, but the picture here is that the Father's hand cannot, it can't be pried open, it can't be taken, nothing can snatch you from his hand. However, that's not to say we can't abandon our faith. Nothing can take you from the hand. But the Lord is not squeezing us either. He's not crushing us. The hand is open. 
And if we choose, we can leave it. We can abandon our faith, as Paul will say numerous times as he writes in his epistles, for example, of Alexander and Hymenaeus making shipwreck of their faith. They abandoned it. So great verses, the world, the devil, our own sinful nature, these things cannot snatch us from the Father's hand. So again, they try to stone him. He asks why, for what of his works, and they say it's not his works, but his blasphemy, that he's made himself out to be God. Jesus, interestingly, will point to Psalm 82, verse 6, that the Lord has called his faithful, his followers, gods. It is an interesting use of the word. We don't normally think of it that way, uh, but that we are family with God might be the, the way we would think of it today. So you can ask your kids, are you sons or daughters of the king of God? Uh, and in holy baptism, that's where he takes us to be his own. He adopts us. We're part of the family. So this would be akin to the language of we are co-heirs with Christ. Uh, we are family. So scripture cannot be broken. The word of God is true. And yet they accuse Jesus of blasphemy for saying that he is the son of God. So he's trying to turn the scripture to show them uh, that we are all uh, the family of the Lord, if we believe uh, by faith. And he talks about faith there in verse 37. They do not believe. He does invite them to believe not simply because of him, but by the works. See the miracles and, and know that God is doing these things, and, and they won't do that either. Again, they seek to arrest him, but He's God, so they can't. He escapes. And he's going to go, actually, now. He's leaving Jerusalem. He crosses the Jordan River back over to where John had first been baptizing, uh, over by the other Bethany across the Jordan, east of it. He stays there for a while, keeps teaching. People come to him, and they recognize this is the one John was pointing to. And people continue to believe in the words of Jesus. (laughs) 